We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures, visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, Jorge, do you have a lot of brothers and sisters? I do, yeah. I have a brother and two sisters. But wait, did you mean like uh, brothers and sisters or like physics brothers and sisters, you know? Because Daniel, <laughs> I think you're my physics bro. Do you have other physics brothers and sisters I should be aware of? <laughs> uh, I'll have to ask my physics father. Uh, not that I know it, but you never know. <laughs> well, do all your siblings sort of get equal amounts of attention from your parents? Uh, I think my parents try to do their best. Yeah, but I think, you know, sometimes some kids get more of their uh, energy, maybe. I know, right? I mean, I'm a middle child, and so nothing that I achieved in life could ever outshine what my older brother has done. Oh, really? Not even a science podcast? Not even a PhD in physics, man. Hi, I'm Jorge. I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist, but I'm still struggling to impress my parents. Welcome to our podcast. Daniel and Jorge talk about their family issues <laughs> in the universe. A production of iHeartRadio. In which we talk about all the amazing and crazy things going on out there in the universe and also inside your family. So while we project our family struggles onto the largest canvas in the universe, we hope that maybe that helps you understand that the universe is a personal place. Yeah, it's here uh, just for you and just for me. Well, we don't know. It's also maybe the playground of lots of alien creatures. It's a big place. We can share it. That's right. There's plenty of room for sibling squabbles here and on other planets. And on our podcast, we try to talk about all the amazing things out there in the universe, the things that are crazy, the things that are wonderful, the things that we've seen, and the things that are as yet unseen. Yeah, and sometimes we like to talk about not just what we see in the universe, but how we see the universe. And we like to talk about 
the famous experiments that everyone is talking about in the news and in the media, but also sometimes the lesser known experiments that are also just as interesting and just as much reveal amazing secrets about the universe. That's right. On this podcast, we are enacting scientific social justice. We are shining a spotlight on those who deserve a little bit more attention and haven't gotten as much fr love from the public. So so who's the older responsible sibling in physics and who's the, you know, <laughs> attention getting uh, youngest brother? That's right. Well, you know, it depends on the field. If you're talking about particle accelerators, you know, then CERN gobbles up all of the credit and all of the attention. And nobody even knows that there are other particle accelerators out there in the world. There are. You see, there you go. You didn't even know. But they're out there every day <laughs> smashing particles together, trying to reveal the secrets of the universe, despite the fact that they don't get a lot of public acclaim. Oh, man. It's tough. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty tough, tough to live in the shadow of an older brother. <laughs> it's pretty tough to be a particle accelerator. Yeah, so to the end of the podcast, we'll be talking about one such science project that doesn't get as much attention as some of his um, siblings, I guess, or, yeah, siblings, and but which nonetheless has discovered a lot of amazing things about the cosmos. That's right, and recently retired. Just last week, it ended its almost two-decade tour of space and taught us so much about the universe that we thought it deserved a little send-off. Oh, man, just as it was getting in the spotlight with this podcast, it's going to retire. <laughs> That's how you know you've made it, right? When we cover you, boom, you're a big deal. <laughs> uh, so this should be more like a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Oscars or, at the Oscars or something, rather right. than a, a nomination for Best Science Experiment. That's right. We're handing out Daniel and Jorge um, Medals of Freedom over here. <laughs> yeah. Well, hopefully it's... Uh, uh, a lifetime achievement, not, a, not an in-memoriam. <laughs> well, you know, we're not bringing it back to Earth. It's just going to sort of drift out there in the cold of oh, space man. forever. But maybe this podcast will serve as its scientific epitaph. There you go. So today on the podcast, we'll be talking about... The Spitzer Space Telescope. What did it find? Where is it now? How does it work? What did it teach us about the universe? Yeah, I think this is awesome. We should totally dig into this. And I was really excited about it. And I also got a request from a listener to talk about this. Here's a message I got from Jane in Abu Dhabi. Hi, Daniel Lenore. Jane here in Abu Dhabi. Could you devote some time to the legacy of this Spitzer satellite telescope, please? The first one up there with infrared. Oh, nice. It sounds like Jane was a little bit concerned about the Spitzer. It's like you guys totally snubbed it. <laughs> and uh, and culture is nubbing it, so somebody should talk about it. Or do you think maybe Jane works for the Space Spitzer? Oh, Spitzer yeah, space. maybe she's on the Spitzer <laughs> PR team, right? And this is just part of their plan. I have a hard time pronouncing it. It's space, it's like Spitzer Space Telescope. It's, it's kind of, I bet if you try to say it three times in a row, it'd be hard. Yeah, well, you know, the Spitzer Space Telescope was not named by NASA. It was actually named um, from really? a public contest. Yeah, NASA said, what, what should we call They left this it thing? to the public? That's from the public. I know you'd expect these days that when you ask the public to name a te space telescope, they would call it like telescope, telescope face, right? <laughs> yeah, like that, <laughs> like that other famous public naming. Uh, what was it? Bodie McBoatface, really. Yeah, 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 the boat, right, yeah. <laughs> but fortunately, what happened? Do you think they, uh, this was before the internet, probably? 
Yeah, this was pre-internet, so they probably filtered out all the ridiculous suggestions, and they decided to name it after Lyman Spitzer. He's a guy who wrote papers in the 1940s uh, about this whole idea of, like, launching telescopes into space, which, you know, uh, in the 1940s was a bit of a crazy idea. Uh, Spitzer came up with the idea of, uh, of a, let's put a telescope in space. Yeah, he was a big proponent of this. He thought it'd be awesome, and he's right, because there are a lot of things that we can't see from the Earth's surface because light has to go through the atmosphere especially infrared light, which is very difficult for it to make it all the way through the atmosphere. And so some things you see more clearly from space and some things you just can't see at all unless you're in space. And we've made so many amazing discoveries from our sort of set of space telescopes. It's really been a wonderful program. Right. And so the Spitzer Space Telescope is apparently sort of like the hardworking sibling that nobody has ever heard of and is about to retire. Yeah, well, I was curious, you know, everybody's heard of the Hubble Space Telescope. That's like, you know, the Kobe Bryant of space telescopes or whatever. Everybody's heard of of Hubble, but, you know, has anybody heard of this other one? And so I walked around campus at UC Irvine and I asked folks if they'd heard of it, if they knew anything it had discovered, if they even knew it was a thing. So those of you listening, think about it for a second before you listen to these answers. If someone asks you if you knew what the Spitzer Space Telescope was, what would you say? Here's what people had to say. No, unless that's the one coming out in 2020. No, that's the James Webb. No, I haven't. No, I have not. No, I haven't actually. No. No. I have heard of the Spitzer. Yeah. Oh, what does it do? It looks at stuff in space. And that's all I know. That's all you know. All right. I have not. It's ringing some bells, but I'm not sure. Which bells is it ringing? Um, uh, Spitzer, I don't know. Space telescopes, there's a lot of them. <laughs> are there? How many are there? Yeah, yeah, it, didn't, it doesn't seem like a lot of people know about it or knew about it. No, I could have said the, you know, Huga Booga to Space Telescope and people would have reacted the same <laughs> way. You know, I should have had a so control People name. would have reacted much more positively, maybe. <laughs> They're know, like, I can't say Spitzer Space Telescope <laughs> three times in a row. Actually, maybe I should have a control experiment because if I had said Huga Booga to Space Telescope, somebody might have said, oh yeah, I've definitely heard of that one. And then we could make fun of it in front of a, a live studio audience. Yeah, well, you know, that actually reminds me of something I do when I go traveling, which is before I ask somebody for directions, I ask them a control question. Wait, you always do that for real? Yeah, like if I'm, when I'm in Istanbul and I'm about to get on a boat and I ask somebody like, hey, does this boat go to somebody somewhere? I find that people just always say yes if they don't quite understand, if they don't know. They just sort of say yes, and then you end up getting on a boat to some crazy place. So first I ask a control question, which is a nonsense question. You say like, hey, does this boat go to Antarctica? And if they say yes, then you don't ask them any more questions. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like there's a great story here, Daniel, where that's how you ended up in Istanbul. You're like, does this boat go to Long Island? (laughs) Yes. And then I see, you know, you're in Istanbul. And that's how you learn to be, to have a control always. Istanbul is a beautiful town and everybody there is wonderful and friendly. And I think they just sort of want to say yes to every question (laughs) because they're in a positive attitude. I see. I see. They're beautiful and friendly. You just don't trust them at all. (laughs) Well, it seems like not not a lot of people had heard of the Spitzer Space Telescope. Although some people thought uh, maybe it's coming out soon and some people... Uh, sort of rang some bells inside of their head. They're like space telescope. It looks at stuff in space, right? Yeah, and you know, there are a few space telescopes out there. And there is one that's coming out, we hope, in 2021. That's the James Webb Space Telescope. 
And it's also an infrared telescope to see really far into the early history of the universe. So that's some understandable confusion because Spitzer is an infrared space telescope that's being retired and sort of replaced by the much bigger, more powerful James Webb. So it's sort of like an upgrade. Well, you know, to be honest, I didn't know there were so many space telescopes. I mean, I heard of the Hubble and, um, you know, the Chandra X-ray and maybe a couple of others, but it seems like there, there's a whole bunch of them out there floating in space. There are a lot of space telescopes out there. There's sort of a, a few, a handful that they call the great observatories. They're sort of like the flagship mm. class, the most expensive, most impressive ones. And they span right. sort of the electromagnetic spectrum because remember that when we look out into the universe, we can see it in lots of different kinds of light, not just in the visible light that your eye can see, but the universe shines in lots of different kinds of light. Together, they sort of cover the whole spectrum. Oh, I see. And so Spitzer is one of them. One of the ones that covers a, a part of the of the of the uh, visual spectrum. Yeah, you have Spitzer that does infrared light, and that's the light that sort of wiggles the least often, is the, the longest wavelength. And um, then you have Hubble, which does the sort of visible light that your eye can see, and then you have Chandra, which does X rays, which have shorter wavelength or higher energy. And then at the very top, you have Compton, which does you know gamma rays. We also have the Fermi Space Telescope, but that's not one of the great observatories. But together, these are like four different kinds of eyes on the sky. Awesome. So there, there are literally um, scientific papers out there that are straight out of Compton. <laughs> like, did they, did they put that in the title, in the acknowledgments? That would be pretty cool. If, they, if nobody has written a paper with data from Compton using that title, I don't even know what's wrong with those people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't used it, you know, why not? Uh, so, so, okay, so Spitzer is um, part of this uh, family of space telescopes, and it's the one that was uh, tasked with looking at light from the infrared, because there's a lot of stuff that happens there. Yeah, the infrared is super interesting because the oldest light in the universe, coming from the furthest distance, is the most shifted. Remember, that stuff that's really far away is moving away from us most quickly, and that shifts the wavelength. It stretches the wavelength to longer, which makes the light redder. So if you want to see stuff that's really old, that's really the very early parts of the universe, then it's not visible to Hubble. It's not visible to the naked eye. You have to look in the infrared. Now, is it that um, you just get older light, or do you get different kinds of phenomenon? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, is it just the same thing you would look at Hubble, but you know, further out? Or do you actually get to see things that you, 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 just, you just can in other wavelengths? Yeah, both. You get to see stuff which, if it was close by, you could see in the visible spectrum, but now it's been shifted all the way down to the infrared. Plus, stuff that's nearby glows differently in the infrared than it does in the visible light spectrum. So you're diff definitely getting like a different picture of the universe. For example, stuff that isn't, doesn't glow in the visible spectrum, you know, like uh, brown dwarfs and exoplanets and all sorts of stuff that doesn't shine brightly in the visible light because it doesn't have its own fusion. That stuff you can see in the infrared. Cool. So uh, the Spitzer is up there right now. It's looking at things in the infrared and it's been going on since when? Since like almost 20 years ago, right? Yeah, it was launched in 2003. And it's one of these amazing NASA missions where they expect it to go like two or three years and then it goes on like forever. You know, like that rover that's still driving around on Mars. Yeah, beating that little Energizer drum. It's <laughs> I imagine that rover is like, you know, in its end days, it's going to be like pulling itself along by its one robotic arm, you know, sort of dragging itself across the surface. I just see it as evidence that physicists don't trust 
anyone, even engineers. <laughs> I just think it's the awesomeness of engineers. You know, they have built in like <laughs> quadruple go. redundancy into that stuff. Because yeah. imagine you build this thing, you send it either out into space where it can never be touched again or onto another planet where you can never repair it. So right, you're, yeah. you're hands off as soon as this thing goes. And if you made a mistake, then you can't go in there with a screwdriver and fix it. Yeah, yeah. Engineers are awesome. And I'm sure they're also as surprised as everyone else. <laughs> when it actually speaking works. As an, yeah, speaking <laughs> as an engineer. <laughs> well, this is definitely a successful project because it was supposed to last two and a half years, but it lasts 17 years. So it went up in 2003 and they just turned it off last week. Oh, just turned it off last week. Yeah, January 30th, 2020 wow. was the last day they ran it. So it could have kept going or they're just like, okay, we got enough. Let's turn it off. It could have kept going. But, you know, these things cost money to run and you got to have people communicating with it. You got to maintain it. It's not free. I mean, it's up there, um, but also it's getting harder and harder to use because these space telescopes, they're not like Hubble where they can go and orbit around the Earth. They got to be further away from the Earth because they got to stay super cold to see the infrared light. Everything around you glows in the infrared um, even stuff that seems pretty cold. So they cool this thing down to like five Kelvin because otherwise it's like shining infrared at itself. And number one, it ran out of the coolant. So like in 2009, it warmed up. So it's not quite as powerful as it used to be. Also, they keep it away from the Earth. It's like orbiting the sun, not the Earth. Mm -hmm. So it's Oh, it's not, it's not an orbit around the Earth. No, it's orbiting the sun. It's sort of like part of the way around the sun, trailing the Earth but it's falling behind and it's getting further and further away, which makes it harder and harder to talk to it. And wow. um, so eventually yeah. it's just going to be impossible to communicate with. And so they, it was sort of one of these like, you know, have we gotten enough science out of it? The sort of, you know, science per dollar that we're getting is dropping. Plus the big new shiny James Webb Space Telescope is supposed to go up pretty soon. So they figured it was sort of time to Time to end its run. Yeah, that's pretty much what I expect to happen to me when I grow old, you know? Replaced Less by cool. a huge space telescope. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Less cool, hard of hearing, and uh, run out of money is probably <laughs> is my expected future here. Yeah. But um, all right, so um, it's, it's been going around uh, the sun and it's been looking at things. And so let's get, let's get into all the amazing and cool things that it's discovered, even as an ignored sibling of other space telescopes. But uh, first, let's take a quick break. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust 
into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusion supply. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. All right, Daniel, say Spitzer Space Telescope three times in a row really fast. <laughs> Spitzer Space Telescope. Spitzer, I can't oh, do it. I can't do it. Is that, <laughs> the new hard, standard? Right? Is that the new standard for scientific names of stuff? Yeah, just call it the, the Bob. <laughs> uh, but uh, so it's been out there for 17 years, uh, 14 years more than it was expected to be running. And so I imagine it must have seen a lot of, a lot of amazing things in its day. Yeah, every time we turn on a new telescope, we learn something crazy about the universe. We see things we didn't expect. Uh, we discover things we couldn't have anticipated. It's really a game of exploration. You know, this is not precision measuring something we already knew and mostly had figured out. We're just nailing down the details. This is sailing into an ocean for the very first time. This is looking at something brand new. These, these are moments of exploration, yeah. They didn't know what it was going to see before they launched it. They just said, hey, let's put up a pair of infrared goggles out in space. Yeah, it's sharper and larger infrared goggles than we'd ever seen before. And these are early moments of the universe we're looking at. You know, we're looking at formation of the first stars, formation of the first galaxies. We're looking at planets around other stars. And so Spitzer was the biggest, baddest infrared space telescope and so it was the one giving us these amazing insights into the formation of the universe. And something interesting you were telling me earlier was that it was originally planned to be kind of like a shuttle-based uh, telescope, right? Like it was supposed to be uh, have like a constant maintenance. Yeah, back in the day, and the Space Telescope Project goes back a long way in history, um, people were expecting that the shuttle, the space shuttle, would not be like, we launch it a few times a year, like it ended up, but like they launch one, you know, weekly. The space shuttle was supposed to be like a shuttle, it was supposed to like go up every week and stay up there for 30 days. So originally, they were like, well, why have this thing out there far in space? Just put it on the shuttle, send it up for 30 days, take some data, bring it back, upgrade it, work on it, send it back up. Because if the shuttle's going up and down all the time, it's no big deal. I was curious what sort of people in astronomy, because I'm a particle physicist, I'm not in this field. I was curious what people in astronomy thought about this telescope. Like, did they think it was an exciting piece of technology? Did they think it had delivered scientifically? Or did they think it was sort of, you know, a miss? 
So uh, I went down and talked to Virginia Trimble. She's a famous professor of astronomy. Um, she's wonderful. She's a sort of a grand old lady of astronomy. You know, she was an astronomer when being a woman in astronomy was very, very rare, which made it very, very difficult. So she's got some amazing stories. And so you asked her what we learned from the Spitzer Space Telescope? Yeah, I asked her whether she thought Spitzer had done important science. And uh, here's what she had to say. What's important about the Spitzer Space Telescope? What should people know about what it's accomplished? Well, it's done an enormous amount of astronomy that couldn't have been done otherwise because infrared doesn't get to Earth very well. And there's the atmosphere and all your stuff at room temperature drowns you with infrared noise. And there it is in space, well away from the Earth, which, of course, is the problem because it's it's getting further and further from Earth and you can't chase it all the way around the other side of the sun. But it's been enormously important in star formation and distant galaxies and lots of other good things. All right, cool. Awesome. It's great to hear from uh, scientists who worked on this who worked on the, the data from Spitzer. Yeah, and there are a lot of them. Spitzer has been a factory for scientific results. I looked it up and there are something like 8,600 scientific papers produced with data from Spitzer. Yeah, and uh, probably a lot of uh, PhD theses, you know, probably um, there's a whole sort of generation of, of physicists who, who cut their teeth with uh, the data from this telescope. Yeah, there are. And anytime you have a device which sort of exists for that long and provides that much data and, as you say, creates new scientists, then you get a generation of people who sort of feel connected to it, you know? And I, so I think that this is sort of a moment for those people. This is like their baby is, you know, I don't know, growing up and moving out or passing on or retiring or something, moving on the next phase of his life. It's the end of an era for those people. And so that's a little bit sad, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's get into the meat of this, Daniel, then. Um, and let's talk about the the actual amazing science that Spitzer discovered. And so um, Virginia talked about uh, star formation and distant galaxies and really old things. So maybe uh, step us through. What did we learn from the Spitzer Space Telescope? Yeah, well, I thought it'd be fun to sort of start close to home because Spitzer told us things even about our own solar system. Like they pointed Spitzer at Saturn and they discovered a whole new ring. What? Yeah, yeah. That you couldn't see before or what? You Nobody had seen it before because it was dim, right? It doesn't glow uh -huh. very much in the sun. And Spitzer is good at seeing stuff that's sort of cold and dark because it glows only in the infrared. And so it found this whole new huge ring of Saturn. So it sort of changes like our view of one of the most dramatic planets in the solar system. A little extra bling there for Saturn. <laughs> yeah. And uh, something I thought was super interesting was they did this amazing experiment called Deep Impact, where they sent up something. Not, not the movie. Not the movie with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> not a movie. This is real life. Um, I don't know if they named this project after the movie or the movie after the project, <laughs> but they it sort of sounds like a science fiction movie because what they did is they sent them something up to smash into a comet. What? Yeah. Oh, that's purpose. right. I've heard of this. Yeah. Like they, you, you actually like shoot a missile at it and see what happens. Yeah, it wasn't a missile. It was more like a cube of metal about the size of a washing machine. Uh, but, uh -huh. you know, people are wondering, like, what's inside a comet? Is it just a big snowball? Is it mostly rock? Or does each one have, like, an actually an alien ship inside? Nobody knew for a while. And so they smashed into one. And Spitzer was the best thing to sort of look at what came out. Because, again, this stuff doesn't glow in the visible light. It's cold. It's cold, yeah. And uh -huh. so it's best seen in the infrared. And uh, so we got the best images uh -huh. sort of of the composition of the dust from this comet. 
and uh, really told us wow. a lot about what's inside comets. And it turns out they aren't little alien ships, at least not the ones we've looked at. They're mostly... <laughs> well, mostly... good thing, because we smashed a washing machine at, at it. <laughs> they would be really angry if we did. It would and be, a, you know, provocation. Maybe an alien, that's how you say hello. Like, hey, here's a big cube of metal at really high speed. <laughs> oh, I see. They're flattered. They're like, oh, thank you. Here are the secrets of the universe. That's we right. won't eat you today. <laughs> You never know, right? It's always a gamble when you're talking to the aliens. Um, but we, we learned that this thing is, you know, mostly um, mostly ice. And, oh, and that's wow. fascinating. Right. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And so uh, Spitzer got those pictures. Mm-hmm. He was the uh, the photographer of record for that. Yeah. And it also told us a lot about sort of near-Earth asteroids. Like, again, mm. you want to see a rock that's coming towards the Earth. You don't want to necessarily have to wait for it to shine reflected light from the sun at you. You can look at some of this stuff from Spitzer and see it glowing. Oh, if, it, if it's, yeah, because anything with a temperature glows in the infrared, right? That's so right. You don't, yeah, you could see it in the dark, literally. You, you would see like a little point in the dark moving. Everything has a temperature, right? Everything that's not absolute zero gives off some radiation. It's called black body radiation. And the colder it is, the longer the wavelength there. And so more things can be seen in the infrared. So you're right. Yeah, these cold rocks, some of them that, you know, might smash into Earth, the best way to see them is to see them through Spitzer. We saw asteroids that we didn't know were there before also? Yep, and we were better able to sort of measure their size, like to see how big is this thing? And, you know, is it really coming in our direction or not? And so that's pretty important. That could have been a shocking moment where you're looking out into space and you're like, oh, there's nothing there. I'll just put on these infrared goggles. You put them on (laughs) and there's a giant asteroid headed towards you. And Bruce Willis is sitting on it and he's whipping (laughs) it with a lasso or something. Uh, Okay, cool. So um, we learned a lot about our solar system that we didn't know. We saw a lot of stuff stuff we hadn't seen before. Um, So what else? Take us out even further. So then we pointed it at sort of other solar systems. And one thing we were really curious about was like, how do solar systems form? When you have this blob of gas and dust and it's coming together to make the star, then you have sort of also a disk of stuff around the star that doesn't get sucked in because it's sort of moving too fast. And people mm-hmm. have it's had an a orbit lot of, around. It's in orbit, right? yeah. And people yeah. have had a lot of theories about like, how quickly do planets start to form? Do you first get the sun and it burns for like a billion years before planets start to come together? Do planets start Mm -hmm. to come together really quickly as soon as uh, this kind of stuff starts to happen? People just didn't know. And you can see this stuff happening because you can with Spitzer because you can look directly at the non-glowing stuff. You can look at the planetary disk or the sort of proto-disk where the planets come from and watch it happen. Um, in other solar systems using Spitzer. Oh, right. Because I guess uh, this, if you try to look at it with visible light, then the, the sun would just outshine that kind of stuff. Yeah. And what you want to do is look at the colder stuff. And you want to see, like, are these things gathering together? Is it mostly just rocks for millions of years? Or do planets start to form at the same time as the sun? And so that's pretty fascinating. Mm. Sort of revealed a lot of clues about how planets get pulled together. And what they discovered is that planets don't waste any time. As soon as that star starts to pull together, planets are also forming just like a few million years after the star. Wow. So the sun was popping out siblings, uh, babies, as soon as 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 it could. Yeah, or rivals, you know. As we talked about on another podcast, some of those things might uh, turn into stars themselves or turn into sub-brown dwarf stars, which you could call stars or planets or whatever, depending on uh, where you fall in that uh, on that argument. So you can actually take a picture of this process happening or do you have to kind of infer it from the light that's coming? 
Do you know what I mean? Like, you, can, you, can you actually see this stuff sort of coming together and forming planets? Well, you can look at individual solar systems in just a snapshot, right? Because you, the, the time scale of these processes is still millions and millions of years. So you can't watch one solar system sort of come together, but you can sort of see a bunch of them and interpolate between them and say, oh, look, here's one where the star is really young and you can see the planets just starting to form. Here's one where the star is a little older and you can see the planets have formed a little more. And of course, there's a lot of uncertainty in extrapolating from one to the other. As you look deeper into the universe, you're seeing further back in time. So you can sort of see a snapshot at any point you'd like to see. But of course, you're right. You can't trace one solar system through time. You can just see it for like, you know, over a 15-year period. You can't see it over millions uh, of years. Right. You got you to take a survey. And that's how you piece together how, what happened. Yeah, precisely. Well, that's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's like having magic glasses, you know. It's like you, you, it's invisible, but then you put them on and you can see stuff that uh, you couldn't see before. Yeah, and we can also use it to see directly those planets, not just in the formation, but Spitzer was the first one to, to visually see those exoplanets. Like uh, you can actually see the little uh, planet orbiting the star? Yeah, you can see the little planet in the infrared. It glows on its own in the infrared. So the first direct light that came to us from another planet outside our solar system was seen by Spitzer. And you remember that um, crazy solar system they found called the Trappist, where it had like seven hot Jupiters all really close to the star. And uh, Spitzer was the one that saw that. So that was a pretty exciting moment. Oh, wow. That's, oh, wow, man. This, I feel like this telescope was, has been busy. Yeah, it has. And something that totally blew my mind is that it can also, if the exoplanet is close enough, and they found one that's, that's only 65 light years away, it can see the temperature variations across the planet. You can actually see an image of it? Yeah, it has an image of the planet. You can see where it's hotter and where it's colder. And from that, they can measure the speed of the winds on that planet. Like they're doing studies of like the temperature, like the, the weather, the they're weather. Doing weather observations yes. in other planets, yes. 65 light years away. Astrometeorology. What? Yeah, it's incredible. And people here in my department, for example, are doing studies like modeling the atmospheres of these planets, trying to understand what's the composition and how fast are these winds going. It's incredible. So um, some of this stuff came from Spitzer, especially these images of this, of the temperature of the, of, of the planet and how it varies across the surface. And also we've seen um, like light from the first stars in the universe, right? Like the, the oldest stars are redder and so this telescope can see them. Yeah, the oldest stars, the ones that are furthest away, that are moving away from us with the highest velocity, they're too red for Hubble to see very well. And so we've seen light from like the second generation of stars in the universe uh, with Spitzer. The first generation of stars people are still looking for. Nobody's actually seen that light directly. Um, but it probably will be the next generation of infrared telescopes, the James Webb, that helps us They'll see They'll be able that. to see. Yeah. Huh. Does that mean that we... Hmm, hmm, hmm. No, but still, um, we're still limited by the observable universe, right? Yes, we're still limited by the observable universe. But if there's, but there's an old um, star in there within that observable universe, we'll be able to see it. Yeah, and that sort of defines the observable universe. You go out sort of the age of the universe times the speed of light. You have to factor out, of course, the expansion of the universe and stuff. But if you, if you remove that stuff, then photons that are arriving here that have been traveling the entire lifetime of the universe, they're giving us pictures from those first moments. And you can't go back further in time than like 380,000 years after the Big Bang because that's the first moment the universe became transparent. But we can see photons from after that time. And so it's difficult to sort of dig it out from the background and, and find that light. 
um, because it's obscured by gas and dust and all sorts of crazy stuff. But yeah, we can see all the way back in time, as far back as the just after the Big Bang. Well, it sounds like Spitzer has been very busy and it's found a lot of pretty amazing things. I would, I would, if I was its parents, I would, be, I would be pretty proud of Spitzer, you know. Yeah, I think Spitzer should be totally proud of itself and that, you know, Spitzer's parents, i.e. the general public, should be giving it more love, you know. Wait, you mean I have a Spitzer telescope, a son uh, or daughter running around there? <laughs> well, I we have all no own idea. It. We all own it, right? It's a public thing. We all paid for it. Uh, the oh. thing cost more than a billion dollars and that money came from us and it's wow. doing work for us. And so it's been toiling away and waiting for our love and our approval for 20 <laughs> years and it deserves a little bit. And yet it's been ignored for 20 years. <laughs> but it but happily toiled on anyway, right? It didn't wow. throw a tantrum. It didn't, you know, threaten to stop working. That's a model middle child right, right there. <laughs> All right, let's get into what else Spitzer has found and maybe at the galactic scale. What, had, what does it tell us about how the galaxies are formed? But first, let's take another quick break. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time off to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life to immerse myself in natural beauty and have a unique experience. But you don't have to leave the United States to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. People from Puerto Rico are called Boricuas, but it's not just a name. It's a spirit, a flavor, a rhythm that you can only find in one place on Earth. Puerto Rico. It's embodied by these proud, passionate people, and you'll feel it in every part of the island. When you bask in the warmth of the beaches, when you taste the love in the food, when you embrace the call of adventure, you'll find the Boricua spirit in yourself as well. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. You can forget where you came from and embrace where you are in Puerto Rico because your visit ends, but the stories last forever. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You know that feeling after you've done a deep spring clean of your house when you realize, wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like how you feel when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, while Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording all this? So it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Personally, I've used Mint Mobile, and the calls are always so crisp and so clear. All of their plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. So it's time to ditch your 
overpriced wireless and go with Mint Mobile's limited time deal for three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash universe. That's mintmobile.com slash universe. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash universe. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three month plan only. Slower speeds above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, Spitzer, the Spitzer Space Telescope has been, uh, I keep tripping up on that phrase, uh, has been out there toiling away, looking at amazing things in the universe, and it's even told us a lot about how galaxies form, right? That's right, because we're curious not just about like how stars were formed, but then how do they come together to make these galaxies? How do they sort of pull themselves together and decide to make sort of galaxy-sized blobs? Like, why aren't galaxies 10 times bigger than they are or 10 times smaller? Why aren't stars just sort of distributed evenly through the universe? It's always fascinating when you sort of find a, a scale for the universe, you know? We talked it about could the, be different. It could have been different, yeah. And what factors contributed to that? Are there some random number in the in the beginning of the universe, or is it inevitable based on sort of the balancing of the forces? You know, the distribution of dark matter. People are really curious about, like, you know, why does our universe look the way it does, and could it have looked different? I guess uh, and this idea of the infrared and looking at older things in the universe is is kind of like extending your vision in time. You know, by looking at things that are older, you can sort of get a sense, a better sense of how they grew up, how the universe grew up. Yeah, and that's why we sort of want to look back in the very beginning, like what happened back then? Because now galaxies are basically formed and like, you know, they can collide with each other and form, um, you know, bigger galaxies. But we sort of know the size distribution of galaxies that are today. But something we're really curious about is like, did all the galaxies start out really small and then coalesce together into bigger galaxies? Or were they born as enormous, massive galaxies and then like broke up? Or, you know, what happened? And Spitzer is the one that can right. tell us. Yeah, it's like, why don't they just uh, collapse into a black hole? Or maybe they will, or who knows, right? Or why don't they just um, float away or stay as a cloud? Yeah, it's super fascinating and something we still don't understand very well and something people are still studying using Spitzer data. Like Spitzer stopped taking data a week ago, but people are going to be using that data to answer questions for a long time. Oh, really? Wow. Mm -hmm. Like uh, my friend and colleague here at UC Irvine, Michael Cooper, he had a really res exciting result just last week. He discovered the most massive galaxy anybody has ever seen using Spitzer. No way. What? Yeah. What do you it, call it? The Great Galaxy? <laughs> no, we call it Galaxy XMM2599. Uh, oh, I wish I was. Should have gone with up. Galaxy, my Galaxy face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell him you said that. But uh, it's an awesome galaxy. It's made more than 300 billion suns by the time the universe was just a billion years old. I mean, what have you accomplished in that time? <laughs> I'm just, I started a science podcast. I mean, what else? <laughs> Surely that's equivalent. So it's one of the biggest and the oldest, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's pretty old. Yeah, it's super old and super wow. big, which is really fascinating. And then after a little while, it sort of stopped making stars, and we don't know why. And so it's really fascinating. We're just like really in the beginning days of understanding how galaxies came together, what that means, why galaxies are the size, the shape they are, the distribution. Um, it's really at the very beginning of that whole field. 
Wow. And so, the, um, so there's a whole sort of a trove of data that this telescope collected then that maybe scientists will keep digging into for years to come. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, James Webb will turn on in 2021 and will very quickly begin collecting data that's more powerful and more interesting, but it can't look everywhere uh, all at once. And so the Spitzer data will be very useful for a long time. In the world of particle physics, we have this exciting new accelerator, but we still go back to data from the other accelerators sometimes because it can answer a question that this one can't. Yeah, I guess my question is, you know, it, it did so much amazing work and it still works, right? Why not uh, Why not just keep it going? Well, it costs $14 million a year to keep operating it. So oh, if you're right, willing yeah. to cough that up, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you should do a Kickstarter for let me, uh Let me call Elon Musk. Hold on one second. <laughs> Oh, 14 million. I guess that's just to fund the people who run it and the equipment needed to communicate with it. Yeah, precisely. Because we, we're not sending stuff out there anymore. It's not like we're sending fuel and energy or you know new liquid helium up there anymore. Um, it's 158 million miles away. And so it's very difficult to talk to. 158 million miles away. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a that's a long uh repair call. <laughs> yeah, nobody's going out there to fix it or to get it get new but stuff. Can, can you bring it closer? Couldn't you like, uh, you know, tweak it so it comes closer, fix it and then put it back out there? No, and we have very limited control over this thing. And, you know, the engineer has been amazing since it ran out of its coolant in 2009. They've been doing all sorts of tricks to try to keep it cool, you know, pointing its sun shield at the sun and angling it this way so we can communicate with it still. Uh, they're doing everything they can. They've really squeezed everything they can out of this thing. And they could keep operating it, but, you know, we got the James Webb coming. And some people were arguing that we should keep it going. You know, people who've grown to like it and and uh, cut their teeth on it. And people who are frankly a little skeptical that James Webb is going to launch. Because, you know, until that thing actually goes up there and starts working, you don't really know. It so, may not work. This is it sort may of like, uh, blow up in orbit or in launch or something. Yeah, or it could just not work. It's big and complicated and, and a really hard project. So this is sort of like selling your old used car before you buy your new one. You know, like, <laughs> then you're, yeah, and there's no Uber to, to um, or Lyft to, um, <laughs> there's no Uber. to help this, you in between there. And there's kind of a big gap, you know, uh, James Webb won't launch until next year. And so it's a leap of faith that James Webb will launch, that it'll work, that it'll be able to do the kind of science that Spitzer has been a wonderful workhorse of. I also asked Virginia why she thought Spitzer was sort of like the not as well-known cousin to Hubble. Like, mm. you know, why it didn't get Wow, you actually press. asked her that. Yeah, I did. Isn't that, isn't that a sensitive question? <laughs> well, It's like, hey, Daniel, why does your brother always get more credit and more uh, love from your parents? <laughs> well, you know, he's better looking and smarter, so what can I say? <laughs> oh, it's not I a contest. It's not a, okay, it's not no, an unknown. It's not a mystery. No, and uh, here's what Virginia had to say. The HST puts out very pretty pictures. It's harder to make very pretty pictures in the infrared. So she's pretty straight up. Hubble makes prettier pictures, right? And so that's really what it's all about. It's about competing with your parents for who's better looking. Oh, man. But what do you mean it's, they're not as pretty? Because, uh, you know, is it just that they're all the pictures from Spitzer are, are red? Or it just doesn't capture a lot of this, this crazy, amazing formations of gas and dust that Hubble does? Yeah, I think it's just nicer to look at the universe in the visible. Like all the pictures that they take in Spitzer, of course, they color shift so that we can see them, we can analyze them. But, you know, they're, and you can add color to them. You can say, you can like map those wavelengths to other things. But I think there just isn't as much sort of rich visuals. And, you know, Hubble is beautiful. It's bigger. It costs $7 billion more. 
Um, it does take beautiful pictures, right? Everybody loves the Hubble pictures, so... Did you detect any kind of sadness in her voice when she talked about the retiring Spitzer? Um, I think a little bit. I think she was worried that maybe James Webb could still implode, uh, you know, not physically, but like as a project, you know, it could just still not happen. And, you know, there's always this legacy in science. There are projects where people sort of tried to make it too big and it didn't quite work out, like the superconducting super collider, you know, uh, sort of flew too close to the sky and never actually happened. And so people are wondering, like, is James Webb just big enough to be awesome and actually go up and work? Or is it too big, too complicated, and it's not actually right. going to happen? Flying too close to the sun. Yeah. Well, I think this is all just a, a big lesson, I think, in... Um, how you name things, Daniel. Don't leave it up to the public. <laughs> they pick Spitzer. I mean, I think really Hubble's more popular because it has the catcher name. Hubble. Yeah. You yeah? can say Hubble three times fast. So Hubble, 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 Hubble. Right? <laughs> and it even sounds fun. To, it's even fun to say it. But Spitzer Space Telescope three times, that's a, that's a harder sell. Wow. All those Spitzer lovers out there, you know, you're offending <laughs> them, man. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, well, thank you to the Spitzer Telescope. Um, we bid you farewell. Thank you for all the uh, amazing signs you've, you've given us and uh, this view into the universe that we couldn't get before. And thank you to all the scientists who helped develop it, to the engineers who made it work, uh, to the crew at NASA who kept that thing running, and to all the scientists who are still analyzing that data and giving us incredible insights into the early universe and our own solar system. Right, because as Jupiter would say, if you like it, find a ring on it. <laughs> I got nothing on that, man. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's so Let's wrap it up. Yeah, that, that wraps it up right there. <laughs> all right, well, thank you folks for uh, listening in. We hope you enjoyed that, uh, this little trip down into the family of space telescopes. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. If you still have a question after listening to all these explanations, please drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Daniel and Jorge, that's one word, or email us at feedback at danielandjorge.com. Thanks for listening, and remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. 
Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.